It's exciting to be back. Got some woo girls out there. Yeah. Where's my woo girls at? Yeah, those ones. Okay. Hey, I see a lot of new faces out here. It was fun watching you guys come in. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Patrick Miller. I'm one of the co-directors here at Veritas. I've been on staff since about 2010. Uh, I graduated from Mizzou with a degree in English then, and I married my wife, Emily. She's an interior designer, uh, and she graduated that as well. We actually just had our first daughter, Iris. This picture's stressed out, but that's her right there. You can't even really see her. There's a better picture coming later, so, so don't worry, girls. You'll get this. She's a cutie. Here's what I want to do tonight. Here's what I want to do. I want to start off with just a few kind of personal anecdotes, share a little bit more about myself, but it's going to lead into a question that we're going to be talking about for the rest of the evening and really the rest of this entire semester. Uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, uh, so the first time I heard the name Jesus, I was in third grade. I was in Miss Holland's third grade class, actually. There's a group of kids. They're all sitting in a circle, and they were all talking about what religion they were, and someone said something about Jesus. I don't remember the conversation super well, but I have to imagine that the question I asked at that point was this. Who's Jesus? I mean, let's be honest. Jesus is kind of a weird name. I was a third grader. I was like, who's Jesus? Since that time, I've been around the church. I've been around Christians. And I've heard about a lot of different Jesuses. I've heard about a lot of different Jesuses. Uh, Probably the first Jesus I heard about is uh, the most common one. This is the good guy Jesus, right? That's him on the screen holding a lamb. Uh, You know, this is the guy who shows you how to be a good person, right? How to love your enemies, be a good all-around kind of guy. Probably the second Jesus I heard about was Jurassic Park Jesus. Uh, That's him right there. Uh, No, there is no Jurassic Park Jesus. I just thought that picture was awesome. I don't know who did that. It's cool. No, probably the next Jesus I heard about was uh, Therapist Jesus, right? And Therapist Jesus, he's the one who helps us cope with our past problems. He helps us learn to love ourselves more. I heard about open-minded Jesus, the Jesus who loves everyone no matter what and is always saying, judge not, yes, lest you be judged. I don't know who this guy is, but he has a coexister and kind of looked like Jesus, so I went with it. It is what it is. It was Google Images. I literally typed in coexist Jesus in this, so that's cool. And and then you know who else I heard about? I heard about uh, inspirational speaker Jesus, all right? Good-looking guy. He encourages us to reach our full potential, reach for the stars, maybe buy a boat, Someday. Uh, no, you know, here's the truth. There's actually some truth in all of these kind of Jesuses that, that we've heard about, right? But that question, who is Jesus, a lot of people have asked it. In fact, probably the first person to ask it was Jesus himself. Uh, in Mark 8, 27 to 29, we read this story. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, he said, who do people say I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? He asked them, who do you say that I am? He he asks me, who do you say that I am? He's asking you tonight, who do you say that I am? Because on some level, Jesus thinks that however we answer that question, it's going to challenge us. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change us, all right? When I got to Mizzou, 
I still wasn't a Christian, but I was kind of interested at that point. And, and I'm still asking the question, who is Jesus? So, you know, I, I heard some non-Christian religious studies professors, and they told me that they were uh, piecing together the real historical Jesus. They were getting behind the Bible to find the real Jesus, and that was going to be him. I met some Christians who were kind of uh, not interested in the church, right? Not, I don't want anything to do with the church. And they said you could find Jesus, go out into the woods, have a spiritual experience. There you can find Jesus, I met atheists, and some of them went as far to say that there was no such thing as a historical Jesus. He didn't even exist at all. Here's what I started to realize. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. Everybody's got an opinion about Jesus. Everyone's got an opinion about Jesus. And in fact, since Jesus' life, for the centuries from then to today, people have been asking over and over and over again, who is Jesus For some reason, we as the human tribe, as humanity, we can't quite explain why, but we have this sense that if we could just figure out who Jesus was, that would really change everything. Maybe we'd follow him. Maybe we'd turn away from him. Maybe we'd love him. Maybe we'd hate him. Maybe we'd believe in him. Maybe we'd deny his existence. I don't know. But it would change everything somehow. But do you know the problem with the question, who is Jesus? Here's the problem. We all tend to imagine a Jesus who's kind of like us, okay? So here's what we're gonna do, a little thought experiment right now, okay? Here's what I want you to do. We all have like an imaginary Jesus in our heads, right? Right, you do, I do. So I want you to picture Jesus in your head. You don't have to shut your eyes or anything. Just imagine Jesus, okay? Get that picture of Jesus. Who was Jesus? What did he look like? Okay. Now I want you to look at the screen. Let's look up here. Did anybody picture that? Anybody? Bueller? No? Yeah, I did it. So some genetic anthropologists, they did some studies on, on some human remains, actually, of, of men who lived in Jesus' town, uh, in Jesus' time, and they said, this isn't Jesus, but this is what Jesus would have looked like. About five foot four, five foot six, somewhere in that range. Is that the Jesus you pictured? You see, it's not just that we have a Jesus who at least looks more similar to us than, than maybe he does, is that we have a Jesus who thinks more like us than, than maybe he did. If I think that there's more than one way to heaven, my Jesus thinks that there's more than one way to heaven. If I've got this kind of theology, my ideas about God, then Jesus kind of shares all my ideas about God. Jesus shares, my Jesus shares my ideas about sex and sexuality, money, friendship, service, possessions, how I spend my time. My Jesus looks a lot like me. But isn't that the problem? A Jesus who always agrees with me can't change me. A Jesus who's always agreeing with me can't really challenge me, right? Do you want to have transformation in your life? Do you want to have change? Then you're going to need a Jesus who is different than you, who can change you, who can challenge you. I realize there's probably some people in here who are thinking right now, you know what, no, (laughs) I don't really want to change. I kind of like who I am. I'm not really into what you're saying right now. But let me just ask you this. Let's just say if you could come to know who the real Jesus was and if it was in any way relevant to your life, if it could in any way change you, wouldn't that at least be a question worth asking? Can't you at least kind of go along this journey and say, well, let's, let's ask the question. Let's see it out. Or maybe there's others of you here who are like, you know what, I've been a Christian for a long time. And this whole Jesus thing, 
kind of old hat, all right? You're kind of patronizing me right now by asking who is Jesus. I know who Jesus is. It's time to move on to the meaty stuff, to the, to the gritty stuff, right? But what if the question, who is Jesus? What if that is the meaty stuff? What if that is the question that's supposed to sit right at the very center of our Christian lives? I'll just share another personal story. A few years back, I was on a week-long retreat with a group of guys. And uh, the main speaker who was kind of facilitating the conversation, he pulled me aside one night. We were talking for a long time. And he said something to me that I don't think I'll ever forget. He said, Patrick, I've been listening to you, all right? And I can tell you're a smart guy. You probably know more theology than I know. Seems like you know more fancy words than I know. You can laugh at that. I, I can laugh at myself. <laughs> he was making fun of me a little bit. And I said, okay, yeah, yeah. And he goes, but you know what I've never heard you talk about? I never hear you talk about Jesus. Do you know a lot about Jesus? I can't say why, but that, that question, it, it cut me right to the core of my heart. It cut me right to the core of my heart. I realized that I needed God to kind of take me back to the basics, to strip me down to the fundamentals, to show me all over again who Jesus was, because that is the main thing. See, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter where you're at in your life right now. We're all in different places. We're all asking the same question people have been asking for centuries, and we all have an answer to it. Who is Jesus? But we gotta answer that question. We gotta answer it honestly, because Somehow, some way, we all seem to know it's gonna change everything. That's why this semester at Veritas, we're gonna be going through the gospel of Mark. And in this gospel, we have a definitive eyewitness account of who Jesus really was, not who I want Jesus to be, not who you want Jesus to be, or who any of us imagine him to be, but who Jesus really was. The gospel of Mark was written by a man named John Mark uh, in the early 60s A.D., and in it, he's recording the memories of Peter. And Peter was a close friend and a close disciple of Jesus. And so in this gospel, like I said, we have an eyewitness account of who Jesus really was. And in it, I think we're gonna find some things that really shock us. On the one hand, we find a Jesus who comforts us, but we'll also find a Jesus who's gonna disturb us. We find a Jesus who loves God's world and word and theology and all of that, but we're also gonna find Jesus who is so much bigger than theology. We find a Jesus who eats with sinners and yet he calls people to the highest heights of holiness. We find a Jesus who's gonna challenge us. We also find a Jesus who wants to change us. So with the rest of our time here, here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna look at Mark's introduction to Jesus. This is kind of Mark's way of saying, hey, I'm introducing Jesus to you. Uh, but before we get going into that, l let's just pray really quick, okay? Will you join me? Um, Jesus, we're coming before you admitting that we all have an idea of who you are, and yet not one of us has the corner on who you are. Not one of us knows you perfectly. You are you, and so only you can show us who you are truly. We pray that you would send your spirit to help us to see you rightly. It's your name that we pray, amen. Okay, so Mark 1.1, the very beginning, we read this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So what's Mark saying here? 
what Mark's saying here is he's saying that Jesus is the king, all right? Jesus is the king. Now, what you're gonna say is, I don't see the word king anywhere in that verse, so how did you get that? Well, here's what you gotta know. To Mark's first century audience, if they read this verse, it is screaming king to them. That's all that they could hear. Let me show you how, okay? What did a first century Jew hear whenever they read this? Okay, so when a, a first century Jew read the words Messiah, they heard what it really meant, the anointed king. So when they hear Messiah, they're thinking, oh, the anointed king. And when a Jew heard the word son of God, the first thing that they actually probably thought of was an ancient song, Psalm 2. It's a song about a king, actually. And in this song, God calls the king his son. So here's what Mark's telling these ancient Jews. He's saying, hey, Jesus, he is the king of Israel. But there's more. What did a, a Roman or a Greek person in the first century hear whenever they heard the words good news and son of God? Let me tell you what they would have heard. They would have thought of an imperial birth notice. An imperial birth notice. So we still send out birth notices today. Like I said, uh, if we can go to the next slide. Uh, there it is. That's the birth notice my wife and I are sending out for my daughter, Iris. She's a cutie. Love her a lot. Uh, you guys are all college students, so you don't get birth announcements probably. Uh, maybe you do. I get a ton because all of my friends are having kids. But they sent out birth notices in the ancient world too, except it was kind of like heralds going out. And in the Roman world, do you know what happened whenever an emperor was born? A herald would go out and he would proclaim the good news, the gospel of the birth of the emperor who was called the son of God. The good news of the, of the birth of the emperor who is the son of God. So here's what Mark is telling a Roman or a Greek person in the first century. He's saying, Jesus isn't only the king of Israel. Jesus is a rival king to the Roman emperor. But there's more. Let's keep going. Mark continues. He says this, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So here's what he's talking about. Isaiah, he's this guy who was a prophet in, in the 700s BC. And he told, he prophesied this good news that one day God was gonna come back down to earth and he was gonna reinstate his reign and his rule over everything. And in doing that, he would redeem everything, he would restore everything, okay? But do you notice what Mark does here? He, he's talking about the day when God, the Lord, will arrive, but he's actually talking about the day that Jesus is gonna arrive. In other words, Mark is equating God with Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the God of the universe. Jesus is not just the king of Israel. He's not just a rival to the Roman emperor. Jesus is the king of the universe. That's what Mark wants us to see right here. So let's just ask, how does this claim challenge us? How does the claim that Jesus is king challenging? You've probably heard the idea, by the way, that Jesus is king. Maybe you've never thought that's a really challenging thing. I think it's pretty challenging. I'll show you why. We're gonna look at a few pictures. Here's what I want us to do, though. I'm gonna show you some pictures of, of some thrones, okay? And uh, I want you guys to figure out what all of these thrones have in common. Okay, so put your thinking cap on. We're gonna think real hard. Okay, so we're gonna start off with King Tut's throne. You guys see it there? It's kind of hard to see with the lights, but you know, it's kind of gold. It's got some hieroglyphics. It's Egyptian looking, right? We have the next one, a Greek, an ancient Greek throne. So it's a big stone throne with some kind of engraved lions, right? 
There you go. Uh, let's go to the next one. Is it? Yeah, so, so the Tudor King Henry, that's his throne. It's a big wooden throne, right? There you go. Here we go. The, the throne of Napoleon. It's kind of small like him. So uh, got the little Anne on there. Uh, and then we have the porcelain throne, if we can put there. So that's the one. I'm, let's go back to the Napoleon throne. That's weird. There you go. Okay, good. Okay, so in all seriousness, I'm sorry. I just had to put that on. I thought that was so weird. Someone made like their toilet look like the Game of Thrones throne. Anyways, this is Google Images. This is what you find when you're searching online. What, what, do, what, what do all of those thrones have in common? You can call it out. Does anybody know? Okay, yeah, that's getting closer. You all, so you sit in them. That's right. But what else? What else do all these thrones have in common? They're very decadent. They're very detailed. We're getting, we're getting somewhere. A king sits in them. This is terrible to do because like, I have an answer I'm looking for, and these are all right. Let me tell you what I'm thinking. They're all one-seaters. Yeah, they're all, hmm. <laughs> oh, that guy, hmm, hmm. <laughs> They're all one cedars, right? There's only space for one rump in the king's chair, and the king isn't in the habit of sharing the chair, right? And that's the challenge. That's the challenge, isn't it? Because each one of us, we have like a little throne on our hearts, right? And we don't wanna share that little throne with anyone. I wanna be the king of my own heart. I wanna call my own shots. I wanna be the one who's in charge. But the problem is that Jesus wants to be the king of my heart. And that's a real challenge. King Jesus wants to challenge how I talk and think about others. King Jesus wants to challenge what kind of boyfriend or girlfriend you are. King Jesus wants to challenge how you do your schoolwork, how you engage with social media, how you engage with entertainment, how you spend your mornings, your afternoons, your evenings, what you eat. He's a king. He wants to say something about everything. Now, Mark's message here, it, it might disturb us. It might kind of bother us. It might annoy us. But he isn't giving us the Jesus that we want. He's not giving the Jesus, look, you do you. You, you can rule your own life. That's fine. He's giving us the real Jesus, and it's incredibly challenging. It's a challenge that demands a response. Who's gonna sit on that throne? Is it gonna be me, or is it gonna be Jesus? But I want to see this. It is a challenging message, but it's not just a challenge. It's a life-changing message. How? How does the message that Jesus is king change us? Let's keep reading. And so... John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so John the Baptist, he's not like a Baptist like what we think about today. He's literally a guy who's like baptizing people, okay? So don't think Baptist, think Baptist. It doesn't matter, just that, okay? There you go. <laughs> and this is, this is what he was. He was the herald of the king. Back in those days, before a king would arrive in a town, a herald would go before him and say, hey, everybody, the king's coming, get ready, because he's gonna be here. That's what John the Baptist was. He was the herald for King Jesus, coming before him saying, get ready, the king's coming. Let's keep reading. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. So all of the country people and all the city people, they're all coming out to hear John, okay? And they were confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. This is kind of like, 
if you were a prophet, you wore this kind of stuff, right? That, that's just what he's saying here. And he continues, he says, and this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, Jesus, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So this is a really loaded text. I could say a lot of things about it, but I really only have time to say one thing. And it's one thing that just really interested me as I was reading it. See, here's the reality, right? I don't want a king over my heart. You don't want a king over your heart. And humanity hasn't changed that much in the last 2,000 years, so I have to imagine that people in Jesus' day, they didn't particularly want a king over their hearts either. And yet we read verse five. It says this, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan. This is kind of wild, right? For some people, <laughs> for some reason, people, they're coming to the herald of the king. You'd think that they would be running away from him. I don't want a different king in my life. I'm a good king. I want to rule my own life. You'd think that they would go the opposite direction, and yet they, they do the opposite. They come to him. They say, I want to hear about this king. Prepare me for this king. I want to have that king over my heart. Why? Why would anyone do that? Why? Would anyone do that? Well, maybe the reason was actually pretty simple. Maybe it was just that these people, whoever they were, they tried living their lives on their own. They tried kind of ruling their own lives. And at some point, they realized, is this it? (laughs) Is my life really that much better than than it's been in the past? Am I really doing a great job of ruling my life right now? They got honest and they started to say, you know what, I don't make a great king over my heart. And so they went in search of another one. So what about us? What about us? Let's just kind of take an evaluation here. You can be honest with yourself. When you woke up this morning in your apartment or your dorm, wherever you're at, were you more fulfilled than you were a year ago? Better? Worse? Same, I don't know, only you know. When you sit in class and you're listening to a professor lecture, do you have a greater sense of your purpose, why you're actually there, a greater sense of your meaning, what you're actually doing here than you did a year ago? Better, worse, maybe it's the same. When you're at the gym and maybe you're chasing the dream of looking better, as you've been chasing that dream, whatever it is, do you feel happier today than you did a year ago? Is it going better, worse, just the same? I mean, just be honest with yourself. How are you doing right now at ruling your own life? Are things better today than they were a year ago? This makes me think of a student that I knew. I'll call him Kevin. That wasn't his name, but we'll call him Kevin. And Kevin wasn't a Christian when he came to Mizzou. But he was a a good-looking guy, a charming guy. He had a bright future out of him. He knew exactly what he was going to do when he graduated. But during his freshman and sophomore year, as time kind of wore on, he started to just kind of sense this longing for something more. And at first it was really small, but it started to kind of expand and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it kind of turned into this big hole of anxiety. And then the anxiety kind of started turning into kind of depression. And then it started turning into loneliness he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know why he was here. He, he didn't know what was going on. 
And so, you know, he's kind of trying to rule his own life. He found a solution to his problems. And the solution he found was pot. And we have to give pot credit because pot does a great job of taking the edge off of the anxiety, right? And it does a great job of kind of blocking your view from giant gaping holes in your heart, right? And at first for, for Kevin, it was just a social thing, right? It, it was just hanging out with friends. But then it started becoming an every week thing, then an every other day thing, then an everyday thing, then a several times a day thing. And the more pot he smoked, the more anxiety he started experiencing when he wasn't smoking, the more depression, the more loneliness, the more emptiness. And in his kind of worst moment, he told me that he got to the point where he was just smoking constantly. He hated smoking with people. He just wanted to be by himself. He just wanted to forget himself in the haze. You see, at rock bottom, he realized he wasn't even ruling his life. Pot was ruling his life. And he knew he was on the verge of falling apart. So that's when he finally was able to admit to himself that he wasn't doing a good job of ruling his life. He wasn't doing a good job of taking his life in a great direction. So he started a search for a better king. He started coming around Veritas. Um, and at first, you know, he would have said it was for the free coffee. He's like, I gotta study later tonight, so I might as well go to this place that gives me free coffee. I know that's some of you guys here are like, yeah, well, I like the free coffee. It's a good deal. That's why we offer it. We're just tricking you. Um, you know, but then he started to meet some cool people. And so then it was like, well, yeah, I come to Veritas, but it's for the free coffee and the cool people. But really, deep down, he was coming to Veritas because we were talking about Jesus. And he was looking for a better king. And he was thinking maybe Jesus could be that king. He ended up going to a conference, and at that conference, he heard more about Jesus, how Jesus could challenge him, how Jesus could change his life, be a better king. And at that point, he said, all right, I'm all in. I'm going for it. I'm all in. <laughs> he said this in front of all of Veritas once, so I can say in front of all of you. He, he had this great line he used to say. He would say, I love pot, but I love Jesus more. I love pot, but I love Jesus more. And this is what he was trying to say. He was trying to say, look, Pot feels good in the moment, but it doesn't change anything about you. It doesn't make anything better. Pot feels good in the moment, but it makes a terrible king. Jesus, he's a good king. He knows what he's doing. So if he challenges my use of pot, if he challenges how I do my relationships, if he challenges how I live my life, I wanna trust him because at the end of the day, he knows how to do it better than me and I can prove it because I've fallen apart before. Do you see yourself anywhere in Kevin's story? Maybe you're coming here tonight and you're, you've been in the pits. Maybe not in the pits right now, but maybe you've been in the pits, you know? Maybe it was a bad breakup. Maybe it's just that, you know, the kind of party life, it hasn't been measuring up. You're looking for something more. Maybe you're just in emotional turmoil, anxiety, depression. Or maybe you're at that stage of saying, you know what, I, I do need a better king than me. How do I do that? Well, you know, the way we do that is exactly how the people from the Judean countryside did it. We start by confessing the ways that we've rebelled against Jesus. The ways that we've said, I wanna rule my life and I don't trust you to rule my life. All the ways that we've taken his throne away and lived for ourselves rather than him, lived according to our will rather than his will. Or maybe you're someone here tonight and said, you know what, I've known Jesus for a long time but that story is just reminding me of why, why I trusted him in the first place. See, when you give up the throne of your life to Jesus, he doesn't just challenge you, he changes you. I'm not saying that life's gonna get easier, that the sky's gonna get bluer. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that he will change you. He will transform you through joy and 
through suffering. The king is going to give you a new calling, a new purpose, a new mission. The king, Jesus, is going to change you by giving you his love and his presence. King Jesus, he is going to change you by giving you a new heart, a new identity, a new community. He can change you. Who is Jesus? Mark says Jesus is the king of everything. And that's a claim that's gonna challenge me, it's gonna challenge you to the core of who we are. But if we confess all the ways we tried to take away his throne, it will change us. It will change absolutely everything. Who's Jesus? He's the king. But I want you to know this, he's not merely the king. Jesus is the servant king. You see, Mark finishes his introduction to Jesus this way. We'll read the last few verses here. He says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, so John baptized him, he's coming up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So the voice of the father comes out of heaven to perfectly declare to Jesus and to perfectly declare to us who he is and what he came to do. And the first thing he says is that this is my son. Jesus is king. That's, that's king language. Jesus is the king, right? But the second part is this. He says, with you I am well pleased. And that's a reference to Isaiah 42.1. It's a passage about a character called the servant of the Lord, okay? And Isaiah, he prophesied that one day this servant would come And he would die a malicious and terrible death, even though he lived a perfect and righteous life. Why? Why did he die? Isaiah tells us. He says this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the servant, was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. As the music team comes back up, I just want us to ask this question. What does this mean? It it means that King Jesus is the servant who takes the punishment that our own rebellion against his rule deserves. On the cross, Jesus is the servant who takes our punishment in our place. King Jesus, this is what it really means. He looks at your messy life. He looks at the broken places. He sees every single inch of it, every little broken thing that you don't want anybody else to see. He sees every little bit of it. He doesn't stand up and say, man, you blew it. (laughs) You better figure out how to fix that. No, he sees all of it. And he looks at you and says, let me take it. Let me take the pain. Let me take the punishment. Let me take it so that I can make you new. You see the challenge here? I can't hold back any part of my life from the king who gave up every part of his life. Do you see how this changes us? Since he's the servant king, he's the kind of king that I wanna serve. He's the kind of king that I wanna repent for. He's the kind of king I wanna trust with my life. I hope you'll stay here with us with Veritas. You'll keep going down this journey of figuring out who Jesus is. I hope you'll keep hearing him challenge us and keep hearing him change us. 
but I'll tell you where it starts. It starts with that little throne on your heart. It starts with saying, you know what, Jesus, maybe I don't know what to do here, but I think I can trust you. Let's pray. Jesus, I am the first person to confess that I really like calling the shots in my life. I like ruling my life. I like getting to decide what I want to do, how I want to do it. But you want to challenge me. You want to challenge all of us. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see you for who you are. And when we realize that you've given up everything to know us, that we would be able to trust you, that we would want to serve you, that we would want to walk with you. Pray that you'd be at work in our hearts to change us.